Welcome to the Daily Horror Habit Podcast. I'm your host, Jay Krieger, bringing you daily reviews of current and classic horror movies for your twisted pleasure. Be aware that these reviews and discussions may include spoilers. And as always, I hope you enjoy. I love you too, Mark. I'm sorry about your mom. Thanks, Mark. What's the fuck you going, bitch? Get out of town, Evan. Can I get a flight somewhere? Anywhere. Actually, hold on a second. Should I go to Italy? What? She gives me some doubts. She's the most attractive person I've ever seen. But that doesn't outweigh that you might be a mental patient, and I gotta make sure you're the kind of crazy I can deal with. No, no. I'm a bunch of confusing biochemistry and some crazy hormones. <laughs> Let's see if the yank of keep up, eh? I don't think you're ready for where this is going. Explain it to me. I don't know how much longer I'm gonna stay here. Today's guest edition of Tubi Tuesday, in which I highlight a currently streaming horror movie, revolves around Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead's second feature film, Spring, which moves away from the time-loop nature of resolution and the endless in favor of a body horror romance. Spring follows Evan, fleeing California for Italy after a drunken night of violence. During his trip there, he meets the woman of his dreams, Louise, but this newfound romance comes at the cost of dark secrets coming to light. And joining me once again to further explore the multi-layered horror world of Benson and Moorhead is returning friend of the show, Matt Jordan. Matt, welcome back to the show. Hey, good to be back. Yeah, I had such a great time chatting about uh, Resolution in the Endless last time that I figured we could uh, get together once again and talk about a film that both Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead did together, but it it fell in between those two films released that we talked about last time, and that would be 2014 Spring. Yeah, it's uh, it's strange because this movie, you know, I had never heard anything about it. So in some ways it feels newer to me than The Endless. You know, The Endless is the one that I kind of discovered these guys from. So I kept having to remind myself that The Endless actually came after this one. I had the same exact um, experience with that too, because I found Resolution randomly back in the day. And then I saw The Endless because it popped up on YouTube on uh, Netflix and then didn't really know anything about Spring until kind of just reconnecting with you over those two films and doing a little more research into these guys and seeing what other collaborations they had done. And yeah, this definitely feels like a new film, a film or a film that came after The Endless, mostly for me just because it's removed from that small world that has been yeah. created between Resolution and The Endless. This being its wholly original story, and yet it still has a lot of the kind of trademarks of Benson and Moorhead and what they put into their films. Oh, definitely. Yeah, and in some ways it feels, again, it feels almost like an evolution uh, to me in terms of filmmaking ability, but I think it's mostly just because they've been, you know, cutting elements out. Like we talked about, The Endless almost feels um, more ambitious than they were able to quite, like, live up to. And uh, it's really good, but it has a couple of, just a couple of misfires. And in this movie, it feels 
almost like it doesn't have enough if there's if there's anything to it but it feels it's got way fewer characters the writing i think is a little bit tighter the uh the scope is a lot smaller but so so yeah in some ways it feels more you know more refined and complete than the other ones yeah i really loved too how in spring the scale is much smaller and focusing on these two people and yet it feels not larger, but it still feels very different than The Endless just because there's this international spin, right? Because the film takes place in Italy and how they're able to really capture a environment in a way that they didn't in the previous two films, right? The previous yeah. two films, for the most part, it feels pretty uh, restrained in being just like a single location or a single area that generally kind of looks all the same, right? It's kind of just like this hilly area out in the desert somewhere. But in The Endless, in spring, there's so many different various locations in Italy, whether it be in the town, which is along the coast or in the city itself or out in the countryside. I mean, it is very small scale in terms of the storytelling, but the range and uh, the range and the types of scenes that they're able to capture, I felt was uh, indicative of filmmakers that have been at this a lot longer than just these two have, which is at this point, this yeah. is their second film together, I believe. Yeah, I mean, they're, um, the budget for this film definitely included a drone, which was nice to see. But they, but yeah, you're right. They really, um, they used it to its full potential. In, in some ways, I, I kept getting this feeling watching the movie that they were using a little bit of the film's budget to do some sightseeing, like to maybe, uh, you know, take some, get some cool shots, like just for the sake of having cool shots. But that might not be a bad thing for them, like, especially if this was, I mean, this is essentially their second film, right? Resolution and then this. So this might have been a way for them to test out some new techniques and, uh, and it worked really well. Yeah, and I think that that is what is most surprising to me is just that it's indicative of them trying things that look kind of like expanding their filmmaking toolbox, but the ways in which, or rather the results that they're getting on that experimentation is of a caliber that again, you would think this is like their third or fourth film. Yeah. And I think that I would agree definitely with what you said about just being tighter all around in terms of the writing, but also the performances. I think that makes a big difference in that. I find this to be the strongest narrative of what I've seen from them so far, just because of how it's smaller scale. But I mean, if you look at resolution, resolution was mostly two characters as well. Mm -hmm. But I think in spring, what I enjoyed the most was just the writing, but also the performances that are given. and. I mean, that speaks to the idea that they're like more comfortable with reaching out to maybe more well-established actors or just more comfortability like in terms of writing. But I mostly was surprised at just the quality. Again, it seems as if this is a film that is the third or fourth film in their filmography when it's actually the second. Yeah. And, and just like The Endless and Resolution, the success of this movie hinges almost totally on how much you relate to and believe these characters. On, uh, on the one sense, you know, you're following uh, Evan, I think is the main character. You you really have to understand his struggle and relate to it to get into the movie in the first place. But then the rest of the movie hinges on his relationship with this new character. So, you know, if those characters didn't have any chemistry, this movie would fall apart completely. Unfortunately, they, you know, they really do. Yeah, and I think making this movie relatable is, like you said, the key to it being as successful as it is because it would be rather reductive to describe Spring as just a body horror movie or a creature, like a monster movie, right? I think it primarily at the core, it's a romance film. And it's a film that 
deals with grief and tragedy and these things. And that core kind of human emotion and capitalizing on that is what really sells the film as a whole. And it makes it this um, platform for the more body horror creature moments that are later in the film. But I think it really is there nailing this uh, core concept and making it very, in a film that deals with a monster, like it is a very human film. And had it not had that attention, the rest of the film would fall apart, I would assume. Yeah, definitely. One thing that I really, you know, admire about these directors, especially after this movie, is that they seem to they seem to not be willing to do anything without having a theme, like a, like a central theme that they're tying everything back to. Because I mean, this and this movie, like you're saying, like it it literally starts with that tragedy, like the tragedy of uh, you know Evan losing his mother is what brings you into everything and, and kind of relate to him, and that is carried throughout the whole film. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that, again, it's sort of like resolution to a certain extent, right? It's this base, basic human emotion or a basic scenario that most people can relate to on some level, right? People have either dealt with loss or they've dealt with repercussions from certain actions or they've dealt with falling, just bumping into somebody and like falling in love or getting a crush on somebody or something to that extent. And so I think that buy-in in the very beginning of the film is so important because that buy-in is what sells us on the rest of the film, not only this character's journey, but then it also, again, it makes a platform that you're much more likely to be invested in, and then it kind of goes into the more supernatural moments, whereas I feel like a lot of low-budget movies, they kind of, they lead with the creature or the monster, but then for the creature or monster might only be in a third of the movie, but then it's like, okay, are you investing in the other two-thirds of the movie? Whereas in Spring, I feel right. like it grabs you right from the opening moments of the movie. And for me, it didn't really let me go until the very end. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, there are a lot of movies that are kind of tangential to this, where you're enjoying it for the monster and for the tension and horror. I think you're kind of hoping for the other stuff to, to just hurry up and get back to the monster. And if anything, in this movie, I could have used a little bit more of the monster. Like the when they go into the horror, it's really effective, but it's there isn't much of it. So I, I was kind of wishing there'd be a little bit more, but it, it definitely completely like, like I was expecting a more conventional monster movie and it definitely made me switch gears mentally and appreciate it for what it was. Just making like, yeah, I also kind of like those monster movies. So I would like to see more of that. But I think I would agree with that. And at the same time though, I would have wanted more of the monster moments, but the few moments that we get throughout the film, I think are used in a really smart way that it heightens our kind of just investment in the characters as a whole. And I mean, again, like like you had said, a majority of, I feel like, low-budget monster movies or indie monster movies, it's like, okay, I'm tired of being with the people so much. Let's get to the monsters more. And yeah. I would almost rather have an instance like this where the characters are so strongly developed in the writing and being able to get invested in them and then almost under-delivering on the monster just because in terms of the pacing of it is so... Um, meticulously planned out it feels and I mean this film is so different than Resolution and The Endless and yet it still feels very distinct to their filmmaking style I mean mm -hmm. there's that return to kind of just the dark uh, dark humor that's littered throughout the film we talked a lot about humor in the previous two films that we talked about and that was something that I was really happy to see again because sometimes I feel almost like filmmakers when they step out of maybe their comfort or they're trying new things, 
they might accidentally, or they might, it, maybe it's intentional, maybe it's accidental, but they might shed a component to their earlier work that you were either really a fan of or you enjoyed its inclusion. And so to see kind of the dark humor come through really helps to tackle the topic of grief or the ta yeah. or the tragedies that are being uh, befallen to people. So like when Evan's talking to his best friend about the, his mother dying, we get this brief little moment where the best friend's like apologizing for dropping the casket because he had yeah. something sticky on his hands or something like mm -hmm. that. Or the only reason that Evan runs away to Italy is because the travel agent says, oh, white people love Italy. Like lots of little <laughs> moments like yeah. that. I love because it doesn't just, there's just enough levity that it makes you okay with kind of just the range of strong emotions that are uh, explored or strong themes that are explored throughout the film. Yeah. This is their funniest movie uh, to me, or like most successfully funny one. And also the way that humor is used, especially at the beginning of the movie, a lot of the time it, it's kind of used in a realistic way, almost like to, uh, it's almost like gallows humor, right? Like. Evan is making a joke because he feels uncomfortable and doesn't want to acknowledge that. Like, one of my favorite scenes is, um, you know, he meets his two, uh, like, British Euro buddies while he's he's traveling. And there's that scene where, you know, they're drinking and partying and, and just kind of talking, like, just shooting the shit. And then it cuts to the scene of them all, or you think they're all asleep, and Evan's driving, and he has a tear, like, you know, rolling down his cheek. Like, he's just kind of, he finally has this moment of quiet where he's not making a joke, he's not trying to, you know, pump himself up, and he's having this real, you know, emotional processing moment. And then immediately it snaps back, like, his buddy is, is like, oh yeah, crying over birds, uh, and then starts going into one of his <laughs> stupid stories again. Yeah. That actor, uh, his British, like, travel buddy was a real standout performance for me. Like I, I wonder how much of that, or how much of that was improv or ad-libs from that guy, because he came across as really natural to me. And now for a brief intermission. If you've been enjoying this episode of Daily Horror Habit, please take a moment to subscribe to the show on your preferred streaming platform, or leave us a review on iTunes. And thank you for your continued support, and I hope you enjoy the remainder of today's horrifying episode. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that they're kind of capturing that persona, or that actor capturing that persona, really does a great job of presenting another type of character that's so foreign to what Evan is normally like. And yet mm -hmm. he's able to relate to Evan still. And Evan's able to relate to this guy, even though they have two very differing personalities, because it's almost like every male character that Evan interacts with has a typical or it has a some semblance of loss, whether it be a relationship or a person, because I'm pretty sure the backpacker tells him a story about he uh, his significant other was like cheating on him or something to that extent. And then even mm -hmm. later in the film, the old man that Evan is staying with on the farm illegally, the old man is always talking about how like his wife passed away and how he still has great admiration yeah. for her. And then he says, um, what does he say? Women are the jewels of the world. And it's almost as if Evan is constantly being reminded of loss mm -hmm. and yet He's being given these examples of people that have experienced loss, different types of loss, but still loss. And yet they've been able to move on after a period of time or they maybe not moving on, but finding some sort of like solace and acceptance of loss. Hmm. Well, that's an interesting thought. I, I hadn't thought of it that way because I was thinking, too, that um, also a lot of the, the male characters that you see in the movie have a sense of kind of like bravado or loudness mm -hmm. to them that, you know, often ends up backfiring. 
like you see um one of the one of the underlying things at the beginning is you know the british guy and his uh you know his welsh buddy they're you know they're trying to hook up they're trying to find girls and mm -hmm. they seem to always be striking out and i think a lot of it's because of the way that they're you know they're putting they're putting out a show right yeah their approach then, is uh is flawed <laughs> yeah for sure and man like if you want to talk about mundane horror like the scene of watching somebody like walk up to like a group of hot girls and then just strike out in real time mm -hmm. it's like my, my skin was crawling watching that yeah <laughs> in, a, in a way that i didn't expect but then also i kind of get this feeling that you know evan uh evan seems like a good guy like from the beginning but I don't get the impression that he's being fully genuine uh, with people or, and even his friend who like, you know, he had that bar friend and it seems like they're people who've known each other forever, but he, they don't really connect on a very deep level. The, uh, the girl they was with at the beginning, they don't connect on a very deep level either. There's a scene actually near the end or no, maybe about halfway through when, uh, you know, the true nature of Luis is revealed where he tries to contact his friend again. And uh, he, you know, he's kind of burying his soul, and his friend is like, "Oh, you know, I, I really just smoked a huge bowl, so can we do this later?" Yeah. <laughs> and then that's when he looks over and sees the old man, you know, still remembering his wife, who is who's long gone, but their love still persists. I mean, you know, there's a there's an interesting contrast there. But I was thinking that maybe Evan is one of these guys. You know, he's just one of these these dudes who's all bravado until this event happened. You know, until he's lost everything. And then that's why he's able to open up. That's why his relationship with Luis turns into something that even she didn't expect. Yeah, in death, he's kind of like finally free to a certain extent to like be himself or to explore parts of himself that he hasn't been able to uh, to a certain degree. Yeah, I think that that's, that's a really great way to put it. And especially, it's funny you mentioned like his friend. I mean, he, he explains to Luis that his best friend, his quote unquote best friend, it's like, yeah, he's always either super hammered or super stoned. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, and that's, I mean, even at the uh, very beginning of the movie, they've been drinking all night. His buddy walks him back to his house and they're drinking more. And then the guy that he gets into the fight with essentially confronts him in front of his house. He's like, I know where you live. Yeah. And his buddy's like, oh, do you want me to stay here? And he like, says one thing. His buddy's like, okay, I'll just, I'll see you. It's just like, <laughs> you don't get the real sense that they're actually like real close friends. It's like, oh, we're maybe I'm friends with you because it's convenient. Like you're that's, always there whenever exactly I want to get... I want to get fucked up or whatever, or just talk shit. But at the end of the day, you don't really see him have a relationship that's lasting longer than a few minutes almost, or a few scenes. And I think that really carries over too to the uh, the Euro guys, the backpackers, right? Mm -hmm. One morning they wake up and they're like, hey, we're going to Amsterdam. Do you want to come? And he's like, no. And they're like, okay, we'll see you. And that's kind of just like the end of that friendship. Yeah, it's because it's convenient. Yeah, and he even mentions, um you know, when he's explaining to Luis what happened to his family, that, you know, he found himself because of, like, all the death that was happening within a short time frame. He had to leave college, and then he's back working at this bar that he had told himself that he, you know, never wanted to be at. Like, he's basically living the life. He's in the place that he specifically didn't want, you know, didn't want to be. So I think there's definitely some reality to that. Of, like, his acquaintances, his friends are people who are, are there, but he's in a place where he doesn't even want to be at all. So, you know, that's, that's definitely not true to him. And it definitely shows again, like that one relationship that he has or the two relationships that he has. It's like, you would think that your best friends would know your greatest fear or the thing that you never wanted to have happen. And yet 
he's end up works at the at the bar he doesn't want to he didn't want to become stuck at and he's like they're getting fucked up all the time in his off hours and it's just like yeah this one act of violence in the beginning of the film that really kickstarts him having to flee the united states and go to italy it really ends up being like the blessing in disguise right it's this mm -hmm. thing that he's finally free to a certain extent and getting to leave but then of course as most things it's too good to be true to a certain extent yeah um this is another strength that i find with uh, vincent and moorhead is that they show these characters in places that are relatably you know not good for the character like like you could say that there there's some toxic element in their lives but it's not overt you know like i feel like a lot of filmmakers would if they were trying to show evan's character they would have you know a couple of cuts of him waking up drunk on the floor like hungover he can't remember how he got there like it's got to be overwhelmingly bad and i was thinking back to um the endless did this really well too with uh, the two brothers and you get just with a couple of scenes a sign that their their lives aren't going anywhere you know from the they've never been able to um to get themselves together after leaving the cult but again they don't show it as something that is tragic in a, in a daily sense it's not there isn't some you know heavy heavy moment that's happening all the time it's just you see this kind of unfulfilled potential for them you see you know in the endless they're uh but they're they're cooking ramen in like a house that they're cleaning like implying that they might not even have access to that you know on their own yeah and i, I thought they did a great job with that with uh with evan as well you know he's a character who's hiding his emotions so he's kind of hiding them from the audience too absolutely yeah and i think again like the way that they begin their films is so not streamlined but it's so precise in getting across just enough that you need to know about somebody but never explaining them fully to the degree that you could summarize them to the T of what their character is or their mm -hmm. true potential or something to that extent. And I think that's persistent throughout the resolu uh, resolution, the endless end spring, this idea that like, we're going to give you just enough to get going. And it's almost like the mm -hmm. movie starts at, at a run instead of kind of just like a snail's crawl, almost like some films open. And again, kind of introducing the character with just enough, you get to know them and then showing them attempt to find their true potential or start to peel back more layers and show that they're more complex than you initially thought, I think is a real testament to, again, for the, their, this is their second film, but I mean, across their first three films that we've talked about, I mean, that's a real talent that speaks to two people that are, I mean, Justin Benson is the one that, uh, that wrote the screenplay for it, but I mean, I would have to assume that they collaborated a lot on the story in addition mm -hmm. to that, even though Aaron Moorhead was uh, co-director, but just in terms of being able to make something that is so succinct. And really, again, it comes back to this idea of we're getting invested in these people and then our investment just continues to grow exponentially longer, especially in spring, the longer this film goes on in a way that is super satisfying that again, it really helps. I mean, we wanted a little bit more of the monster moments, but I never get bored with the, the human side of spring, no, right? There's not. never really any lulls in the development of Evan and then of Evan's relationship with uh, Louise when they meet at that bar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and ultimately as they, um, you know, by the end of the movie, they really draw focus away from that monster element and it all comes down to those characters. It all comes down to Evan and Louise and the fact that they were able to pull off that ending, at least, you know, from my point of view, it tells me that it was successful. It was successful in the way that they uh, set up and portrayed these characters. Absolutely, and I think you're definitely right in that, like, it's successful in that the ending kind of pops in a way that I don't know necessarily would have had they not 
had us fully in, I mean, we'll get more into the ending in a little bit, but just you have to be 100% invested in their relationship for that ending to be as satisfying as I found. And it sounds like as you found it to be, Mm -hmm. but uh, unlike their cameo in resolution and then their leading roles in the endless uh, Benson and Moorhead were completely behind the camera for spring. Um, And so I was curious kind of just what you thought of Lou Taylor uh, Pucci and Nadia Hilker's performances as Evan and uh, Louise. Well, aside from Lou Taylor Pucci, is his name? Mm-hmm. Which I, I looked up his uh, filmography. I've never seen him in anything else, which was surprising to me because you know, he's a you know, very capable actor. So aside from that, I think he is a uh, smaller clone of Guy Pierce. Like I have some <laughs> yeah. suspicions there. Uh, he's great. He's uh, he gave a really subdued performance. In a, in a way that I haven't, I don't often see from a you know, protagonist, where uh, like a lot of it is just how he is reacting to what other people are saying. Like he's not, I don't know. It, it's it's very subtle, but it all, it's also very realistic. This movie kind of benefited from um, something that I often like is when you get a movie with good performances, but they're all actors that I've never seen before. So I don't have any preconceived notion about them. I don't think of them as as other characters from other films. Uh, he really just feels like this guy uh, to me. He deviates a lot from ever becoming like the quote unquote ugly American character, right? And I mean, that's yeah. a testament to the writing, but also just the way that he carries this character in a way that, I mean, we see a drunken American at one point in the film, and it's just so refreshing to have a guy that's so far removed from that, that doesn't kind of fall for the usual pitfalls of being a tourist in a foreign country that's like loud, boisterous, but also is very susceptible to maybe others capitalizing on the fact that like they are a foreigner or stranger in a foreign land, right? I mean, that first uh, interaction at the bar between Evan and Louise, I think is so important because he meets her and of course, like she's gorgeous, but then at the same time, he's like not falling head over heels to the point that he's gonna make stupid decisions. She's like, oh, do you wanna get out of here? She's very forward, because we know later on what her true intentions are, but He kind of, like, they say, oh, he shot himself down, basically, or he got in his own way, but he's like, oh, do you want to, like, go get a drink tomorrow or have a date or coffee or something like that? And it would be so easy to kind of skip that and just have his character be like, yeah, let's let's get out of here. Let's go do do what we want to do and stuff like that. And it's just refreshing not to see it play out like that. And it's more, I think it's more rewarding. And again, it makes him a character that, you're not yelling at, you're just rooting for in terms yeah. of like the decisions that he makes. Yeah, I actually went back and watched that scene specifically last night. Uh, rewatched it knowing, you know, what Luis actually is and what her intentions are. And it makes that scene even better to me because first off, it, it makes me understand why they hit it off a little bit. And that, you know, she has this routine. But I, I guess we should get to in a, in a second what she actually is uh, since we're kind of dancing around it. But she, but she clearly has this routine of needing to rope in men to survive every once in a while. And you kind of, you've seen movies like this before, like you kind of expect that she's some kind of vampire or predator or something. Like she actually needs him harm. She really doesn't. She's just kind of trying to, to uh, you know, get her weird survival mechanism working. And the fact that he's making it so complicated is like she uh, she seems like she's never encountered this before. Like she is this hot Italian woman who's throwing herself at this foreigner. And she's like, wait, this always works. Why, why am I getting so static this time? 
but the way that he but the way that he reacts makes so much sense like one thing that i like about uh benson and moorhead is they tend to make movies assuming that you've seen a movie with a premise like this before you know there, there's a little bit of meta awareness to the script so the fact that she is coming on so strong and he's saying like wait a second this doesn't make sense like you're either a prostitute or you're trying to get me to carry drugs over the border or something like that like this <laughs> this can't be working out you know the way that you're saying it's going to work out so i like that i, I like that, that the characters are that kind of meta aware and direct absolutely yeah and i guess yeah we have been dancing around it so we should get to we should get right down to it yeah. but um so it turns out that louise is actually this sort of creature that essentially she i think they describe her as a mutant in the, the yeah. description of the movie but because it's not necessarily 100 percent defined right she kind of is changing into different things periodically but and we get sort of brief clips of her behaving strangely and then we see her like eating a cat and yeah. then eating rabbits yeah and they really they make a couple of feints as to what she actually is like they, they really she even has kind of the sharp vampire teeth at one point it looks like she's avoiding sunlight so they set it up like that, but then is it is she more like a werewolf or is she like a werewolf that turns into some kind of reptile scorpion thing? Like it keeps changing. That I really liked that. And I, that was something I didn't really notice until the big reveal, which is when Evan walks into her, literally breaks into her apartment and then sees her on the floor. And she's this kind of like mess of tentacles and tails. Yeah. And it almost looks like some Cthulhu monster. Yeah. Um, but in thinking about it, like, yeah, there's a moment earlier when she steps away from dinner because periodically she begins to transform. And this is really like the body horror element where her skin's rotting. She starts leaking some kind of like smelly fluid yeah. or her skin starts coming off. But then she has these uh, injections. I forget what the injections were. It was like stem stem cells or something. I think so, because they, uh, they, they make kind of a, a joke at one point about like, I think Evan dramatically misunderstanding what stem cells are. He says something about like, isn't it <laughs> yes. thing you have to kill babies to get? Right, exactly. Um, but yeah, so she uses these syringes to kind of like stave off the um, the transformation essentially. Right. But then we get brief clips where, yeah, she looks like a vampire at one point. She's like avoiding sunlight, but then at the same, I think he even makes a joke about that, about her being a vampire. But then at the same time, we see her like, covered in facial hair and she's like growing these crazy teeth that look like a werewolf's mouth and snout. Mm -hmm. um, I was a really a fan of how it is very ambiguous, but the core of like, yeah, it's terrifying and it's this gorgeous woman turning into a monster, I found played out really, really well. Yeah. Yeah, and they have an interesting effect that they use when um, they show her full body when she's kind of in monster form. Like she is abnormally skinny. You know, she looks kind of skeletal. But there's also a weird way that she moves where, and I wonder if um, it's probably not puppetry, but I, I was thinking it might be the Twin Peaks thing of like they're having her act out a scene in reverse and then they're replaying it because there's something very strange about her, her motion, like very strange and inhuman. And again, very subtle, like they don't draw attention to it. They also, I think I would bet that you're right just because also the scene when she sees the cat in the alley, mm -hmm. the way that she moves is very unnatural. It's almost like, she phase, like phase shifts into uh, for like a movement speed. It almost looks yeah. like she kind of just like phases into the next step or something like it's sped up almost, which I really liked it because again, there's I keep coming back to this quote in my mind where Evan talks about how he's just catching up to uh, the time zone and he's like, oh, it feels like I'm in a dream basically. And 
the whole approach to her being a monster has this kind of like dreamlike feel to it, or at least mm. the sequence of events has this, it plays out like a dream almost where it's like, yeah, I'm partying out in the Europe and then I meet this beautiful woman, but then there's something off about her. Mm. And it just feels like all of these things are being compiled in a way that it's happening very suddenly. And I'm sure it is, but just the way it comes across, it does have this sort of floaty dream, like, is this real or is this not? Um, capturing of everything yeah definitely and that kind of goes along with the you know it, it does kind of have that feeling of like meeting a new person and really hitting it off like there is a kind of like walking on air feel to it and i'm glad that they embrace that because they have some really beautiful moments like you know when they're uh, they're on the boat like going into the bioluminescent cave like they're they're not afraid to have these moments of of beauty that lets you kind of relax like into the story uh, before moving into the, you know, the more tense stuff, which is probably why Guillermo del Toro liked it. You know, he was a, uh, he recommended this. And in some ways this, you know, I, I can definitely see the through line between this and then something like uh, Shape of Water. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think those intimate moments are what make the monster transformation moments, especially at the end of the film, so heartbreaking, right? It's not, oh, this person is turning into a monster. It's like, oh, the the newfound love of his life after a tragedy is turning into a monster is being yeah. is breaking down and not knowing i love the ending of the film the whole final act of the film because there's this idea that you could maybe hold on to this feeling for the rest of your life or it's all going to go away and mm -hmm. the idea that you could endure a tragedy and then be on a somewhat of a rebound heading in a direction that's exciting for you it's new it's fresh can all just be taken away in the blink of an eye again is a very real emotion. And mm -hmm. I think that the way that it's presented, especially um, pulling back on the monster stuff again, to just focus on like an argument between a couple, there's a couple instances of that where it's just a couple fighting mm -hmm. and the portrayals of that I feel are so grounded in the way that they feel very organic and they feel like any argument anybody's ever had with a spouse, it really does allow again, the monster moments to really pop in a way that, they just wouldn't if it was kind of this, just a screaming match that you're like, okay, yeah, this is very kind of just heightened for the sake of being heightened, where some of the fights that they have are very mundane. I mm -hmm. mean, when they're at dinner and they don't want to tell each other something about each other, it's like, that feels very mundane, but at the same time, it doesn't feel like it is, um, it's created just to make the scene more intense or something like that. No, and a lot of times those fights, they dovetail with, you know, the other half of the plot. Like, I think, um, you know, the, the big fight kind of near the end when uh, Evan still doesn't understand what Louise is, but she just kind of, you know, after a couple of days, she, it appears that she's just calling off the relationship. You know, she's saying like, this guy, it's got too fast. I don't want to talk about it. Let's just never see each other again. Well, that's after she kills her first human, like right. immediately after. So she is trying to protect Evan in the way that, you know, makes sense to her. And I think even, um, even at that moment when they're fighting at dinner, that was after, uh, you know, the guy had taken the, the photo of her and it come, mm -hmm. and actually come to think of it, that's the one like horror moment that doesn't really make sense to me. Like, I'm not sure why her being this mutant would make her take like ghost photos, mm -hmm. but you know, it, it works <laughs> for, for what it is. That's... You, you do have this moment of like, oh, I wonder what she's all about. So, so I, I guess it's that might be, that. that might be the, uh, the vampire 
part of whatever she's morphing <laughs> into. Who knows? But yeah, no, yeah. I I almost was appreciative now that I'm thinking about it and talking about it with you. I'm almost more appreciative that there are less moments like that in the mm-hmm. film just because, I mean, I like how they sort of dance around the fact that she she is what she is, right? She's a monster at the end of the day. And I like that the scenes that we get, because it's not really a mystery, right? We mm-hmm. know she's a monster pretty early on and we get just enough that we're reminded of it, but we don't, we're not kind of like beaten over the head with it almost. And I appreciate no. that because they let on early enough that something is amiss but with her. And it's like, yeah, we kind of already know long before that big reveal. And so it's almost just like, yeah, we're going to have the relationship really be the primary focus. And then we're going to give you that big monster moment later on. You yeah. just have to get periodic reminders of it. So that way it's never too distracting from their relationship. Yeah, and those periodic reminders are, uh, I think, another strength of uh, Benson and Moorhead, like the, the way that they consider those things, because they'll just drop in things like, you know, she has two rabbits uh, that she keeps in the same cage. And then uh, Evan mentions, like, those things are going to breed like crazy. And she's like, eh. you know, doesn't want to acknowledge it. But then as the audience, we know, like, that completely implies why she even has them in the first place. I mean, there are a lot of things like that, where it's like this, this one little hint that you know, there's a lot happening under the surface, but you really don't need to see any of it. You don't need your attention drawn to it. Yeah, and they don't have to explain verbatim. We don't need to get her explaining it for us. They don't need to kind of just have even more of an implication of what their purpose is, mm-hmm. um, which, again, it's kind of just a testament to them trusting the audience that they're going to be able to connect the dots to a certain extent based on what we're shown or what we're given, yeah. um, which... I appreciate because again, for a movie that is, I think it's an hour and 50 minutes long, this feels very brisk. I didn't find that this movie dragged at any point. Like I just reviewed a movie that's 88 minutes and it felt like it was two hours long. (laughs) Whereas this movie is almost two hours long. And I would say that this feels like a 90 minute movie almost just because of Mm -hmm. how well they're able to jump between romance, horror, but then also like we had kind of talked about them expanding their, um, their filmmaking toolbox. And I think like a lot of those drone, there was probably one or two drone shots in the movie that maybe didn't necessarily need to be there, but I can appreciate them expanding on their style in a way that plays out really, really well. And we get lots of these kind of just beautiful coastal shots or uh, shots of the countryside in a way that really captures the beauty of Italy versus the, the narrative that we're watching unfold, which is very kind of melancholic it's mm-hmm. very sort of depressed in a lot of ways. Um, and I just appreciate that contrast. Yeah, and that's that's really a you know a testament to their skill to make a movie that feels that well paced, that does have a lot of, you know, just long establishing shots of Italy. Not even to show a new location to kind of remind you of the place that you're already in. Like it's still even taking that time to let you kind of simmer in the environment doesn't feel like it's slowing everything down, which is really cool. And then also uh, I found that that um, the long drone shots kind of paid off because you have, you kind of get lulled into this sense of like, as days are passing, sometimes Evan is just going to be, you know, drinking a coffee, looking over the coast or, or standing on the bridge or something. And then about halfway through the movie, you have another one of those shots, those long, slow, languid, like, look how beautiful Italy is shots. And then you hear a screaming American on the beach, just yelling about, you know, being an American overseas. And, uh, and that was something that I, I thought was kind of an interesting angle to take because they set it up a couple of times early on in the movie about you know how Americans are perceived uh, overseas. 
and then they come up with this character who is just such an asshole that and, and it's like tripping so many flags that you know that he's gonna get murdered but um i thought that was like that was kind of a funny thing to throw into the movie yeah and i think that those american characters are very important they could seem as if they just serve for laughs but in reality i think that they're benchmarks in terms of the growth that evan makes throughout the film because when we meet him there's no real indication that he wouldn't be behaving similarly like that those americans mm -hmm. that he sees well to a certain extent i don't know about the uh, the assault part but like being drunk and loud and making a scene with your friends because the only friend he has at home their whole relationship is based around drugs and alcohol yep. based on what we're told basically so it's like yeah if they were on vacation together, if his friend could wake up to make a flight, like the idea would be they would probably be behaving in a similar manner. And so to yeah. see him react negatively to a certain extent when he sees those characters being fools and being drunk and loud and everything, it shows like he's leaving behind the old version of Evan now that this tragedy or this grief is allowing him the opportunity to not only escape, but to kind of he himself evolve much differently than Luis, but still evolving into a new form of himself. Yeah, that's definitely true. Um, you know, it, it may be a stretch to say that Evan could have been that guy, but I could definitely have seen him hanging out with that guy, like being in, mm -hmm. you know, of the same environment uh, as that guy. Yeah, in terms of just like the final act as a whole, the last 24 hours that the two of them get together before Luis re-evolves and I, I can't remember if they said that her memory gets wiped when she re-evolves but it's just this idea that like she's starting a new cycle um, yeah. and that where her body would basically like eat the fetus that's inside of her now from Evan and whatnot. And then she become keeps getting her immortality, which ensures that she'll live for another probably 2000 years, which is, I think is how long she said she'd been alive for. Mm -hmm. What did you think kind of just about that last 24 hours together and how it really kind of just solidifies this idea that like both of them are evolving but in very different ways. And it's almost as if, I think that it's interesting to see like the reasons why Luis decides to, um, to de-evolve for lack mm -hmm. of a better word in terms of like making the decision that, well, I guess it's not her decision. It's her body's decision to not uh, re-evolve. But anyways, what did you kind of think of that final uh, act? Well, I think it's great because they, um, they completely shrink the scope of the movie like in those last 24 hours to just these two. Like there, there's no other element, no other persistent element in the movie. Even the, um, you know, even the farmer that uh, that Evan you know, was working for is essentially gone at that point. Uh, there's no follow up to the uh, Interpol uh, chasing him, a kind of plot. Like it really, they really just focus it to these two characters. And what starts to happen is they start to have these very candid and to me realistic conversations about what the relationship even is. Like before that. It was two people hitting it off. It was two people who were, you know, getting to know each other, having a great time. But now they're talking about, you know, committing to something longer. And, and it, it, you know, it has that, that double meaning of working as something that could be a conversation that would, that, you know, you would have in real life, but then also being about like, you know, we're, we're talking about whether I'm going to be, you know, reborn as a new form or, you know, or, or continue to uh, stick with this one. Like there's the supernatural uh, element to it too. And I think it was cool that they, uh... yeah, I think it was cool that they were able to pull the focus just completely into that and then have these conversations that you know felt realistic between these two. Absolutely, yeah. And I like that their relationship evolves into like the reality that this could kill 
Evan. Yeah. Right. This idea that he's willing to put everything on the line for love, and she is very uh, oppositional to the idea of trading immortality for love initially with this guy. Yeah. Um, and I mean, it's no threat to her periodically because she's losing control of her body. The further we get to the end of that 24-hour window, I mean, her she has a tail that is about to uh, pierce him or kill him or whatever in the church. Um, which I love because then you get that she has to like stick herself with the syringe to stop the transformation. And then the old couple, like it's like, Oh, there's a zombie doing heroin in the, <laughs> yeah. in the church or something like that. Like, again, a really great balancing of gallows humor with the reality that like the protagonist almost died, but also like she is on the verge of dying as well because you mm -hmm. see like her face is starting to rot more, which again is a little moment, but I really love that because it's, you can never really anticipate the type of body horror moments that we're gonna get throughout the film. And I think that that is one of the keys to really good body horror, right? Every time she notices she's starting to change, there's a different symptom. It's not always the same exact thing. We get little different bits and pieces every time to the point that it's always effective because you can't anticipate it. You don't know what's gonna fall off or start to rot next. And That's that for point. me really makes those bits of the body horror stuff really pop in a way that um, had it just been like, oh, her fingernails are falling off again or her finger or whatever, it's you would almost be like tired of it, like it's played out. Whereas the body horror stuff really felt fresh throughout the entire film for me. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like after that, after that one moment in the church, there's another one where she, her face almost becomes like a crocodile for a second. Yeah. And, you know, snaps, snaps at him as it gets close, like probably the biggest jump scare uh, for me in the movie. Mm -hmm. And and yeah, it just kind of goes to show like, hey, it's decision time, Evan, like, you're not gonna be able to anticipate like whatever comes from this. I think she even tells him like uh, when they're at Pompeii, she says like when you start to like when the sun comes up, you need to just start running. Like don't even try mm -hmm. to you know question or figure out what's happening. And I think that all of that time that's spent with the two of them trying to grapple with their decisions in terms of how they want this to play out. Whether is this just a fling? Is this is there more to this? Is this have uh, does this is this a, even a relationship? Does this have legs that this could go on for indefinitely? Is this just a fling kind of thing? I think that by having these types of just like average, almost mundane quandaries play out with the supernatural element where the stakes are raised so much, when you get to the finale of the film, it really does make it have this satisfying yay conclusion almost. Like I was assuming that it was not going to have the ending that it did just because of how Overall, the film is so, um, yeah, I guess just like melancholic from beginning to end, but also thinking about like resolution and how that movie ended with, it didn't have a good ending for those guys. Right. And, and I think that film is stronger for that, but I was almost not as invested in those two characters. And that might be for a majority, um, several different reasons. But with these two characters, I cared so much for them that I actually did want that happy ending. And I don't know how I would feel about Spring if it didn't have that sort of closure that we got uh, had it not been that, had that not been the case. Yeah, no, I, I think it would have been weaker for it if it uh, mm. if it didn't have that happy ending. And, and I think part of that was from, um, you know, in Resolution, we're kind of seeing, we're learning more about these characters. Like we're, we're uncovering more about them and uh, the relationship as it goes, but we're not, we're not necessarily seeing them grow a ton and uh in the end list you know you see a lot of growth right at the end 
and uh, which which was kind of well done. Like I thought that was a a good way to bring the the theme back around. But here you're seeing these two characters grow tremendously over the course of the whole movie. Even Luis, who you know she thinks of herself as being like she's done this how many times throughout history. She's seen more than any human alive, but she is kind of experiencing something new by the end of the movie as well. And I think it's kind of cool that it's out of her hands too. Like it's not like she decides that she's in love or she decides that she's going to uh, you know change her biology. It's just a chemical release for her. Like if she feels that she's in love, then you know, she is. Yeah, and in her character essentially like de-evolving, I guess. Her she her experience is evolving into this new chapter that mm-hmm. she's giving up her body is giving up immortality, but at the same time there's still something there's something maybe worthwhile to look forward to, right? Because her life is pretty aimless at this point, essentially. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, she has a house and she does this every 20 years, but at the same time, this is like the new chapter for her, maybe the first new chapter for her in the last 2,000 years um, since she fell prey to whatever this uh, this affliction she has is. And I mean, also for Evan, obviously, he gets to start a new chapter in his life that is very satisfying for him because, yeah, He's sort of coming out of his grief. He's got this fantastic relationship. And so to see his life move forwards in a meaningful way and to see her life move forwards in an exciting way, mm-hmm. I guess it really does kind of have that that feel-good moment, especially when, I don't know about you, but I got faked out by the camera panning onto his face and then you hear what sounds like her changing. Mm-hmm. It sounds like her mutating again into a monster. And I'm like, oh, he's about to get killed. And then to have that not be the case, I found just to be so incredibly satisfying and like that happy moment where it pans back and she's still a normal woman. I loved that moment. Yeah, and what a brave ending for uh, for the filmmakers to have it, you know, literally just be, it's just Evan giving an ending monologue and you hear these noises in the background. Like to be able to, to have faith that you have invested that much in the characters, you understand, you know, what they're about and how they've changed over you know, the last two hours. And just leave it at that, like to leave everything else to your imagination was, I think, a you know, very impressive move uh, by them. Yeah, to leave the the protagonist in a, the most vulnerable state that he's been in. And it's a little role reversal, right? Because earlier in the film, he I've, I think it was when they were on the beach after they'd had that fight, after uh, they took the picture and her face was all blurry. He lays his head in her lap and he says, how do women mm-hmm. know that men like that or how they, to do that or something? And so to see that role reversal of, her taking care of him and now him essentially taking care of her in a certain, uh, certain way. Um, again, it's just like their ability to take, to introduce concepts and to ensure that they come full circle. And I think especially in spring, it's an example of that. It's not only full circle, but they never really stop developing or stop hitting upon the different themes that they have in the film, Mm -hmm. which makes for me, I think this is probably my favorite film by them. Um, I definitely like, I definitely like not to kind of like get into like this is better than that film, but I like Resolution and The Endless as one film almost. It's a very interesting exploration of a larger concept. But in terms of spring being just this very small scale, two people in a big in a big city, I just love how not only the characters are written and performed, but the film as a whole feels like it runs with the different ideas and themes that it has in a way that is never overbearing it never kind of forgets what it's trying to do it feels very direct in approaching the subject matter yeah definitely i feel like um 
if you could take all those movies, then yeah, not to not to necessarily say like they're all all three of them are different movies. There's no sense in just you know trying to rank one against the other. But if you thought about what they were, what the filmmakers were actually aiming for and trying to achieve with each one, I think they successfully hit more of what they were trying to hit in Spring than in any of the other movies that I've seen them do. And yeah, Spring is definitely my favorite uh, that they've done. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that I was so happy too. It was very reassuring to see them be able, of course, like this came out before The Endless, but in terms of like my awareness of it, I didn't know about this movie until I'd seen both of those. So in my mind, I'm always Mm -hmm. like, oh, well, I mean, also to be fair, like I'm sure that Endless was written in conjunction with Resolution or not long afterwards. It would, I would, again, I don't know this for certain, but I would bet almost that the Endless came out later because they needed to get financing and stuff for that film in terms of it had been written and established what they wanted to do. And then they just didn't have financing for it. I would almost think, but, um, in term, so what I was, my point was, it, my point there was, is that Spring feels like a film that is evidence of growth, but also being a wholly original uh, concept, right? It yeah. feels removed from what they've done previously, while still being able to abide by certain filmmaking tendencies that they have. But it still feels like growth on their part. Like we keep talking about evolving with characters, it feels like an evolution for the filmmaker's style. Both, both from a technical standpoint, but also from a narrative standpoint and the mm-hmm. way that you construct stories with human uh, emotions and all these things in it, but still having that sort of supernatural element that um, that's very different than The Endless or Resolution and yet equally effective in kind of just going against what you would assume in a romance film, right? Or even a body yeah. horror film. I mean, the layers to this movie, I think, again, are just very indicative of growth. This movie feels a lot less tied to genre in a way that I find pretty interesting. Like the fact that we have to keep calling it, you know, it's a mix of a travel body horror romance movie. And yet it doesn't really feel like any of those things. Like it, it has elements of them, but it kind of becomes its own thing. Whereas resolution is is good, but you could still definitely bill it as indie horror. You know, that doesn't feel like a, a stretch at all. Endless is kind of, you know, psychological sci-fi horror. Like they all, they all feel like things that I've seen before, just a different, uh, you know, radically different take on them. And Spring feels wholly original. It feels like it has its own own kind of identity. And again, that's why it, it felt so strange uh, having to remind myself constantly that this movie is significantly older than The Endless because it does feel like, maybe maybe like you're saying, because The Endless is either drawing from some of those same ideas, you know, from the same well, or feels like it needs to continue elements from a resolution. Maybe it feels a little bit more tied to their older way of making films. Whereas this feels like, a brand new growth for them as directors. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you articulated that much better than I did. But uh, the endless definitely feels like it is a a larger execution on ideas going back to like the the well of ideas that they had with resolution, right? And so it's kind of like that idea of some films that have came out, and it's like, oh, the second one feels like they're remaking the first film with mm-hmm. more direction and a bigger budget which it's slightly different in that case of these two films, but it's the same general idea where if they make something that is connected to that universe or that world, it can't, they can't experiment too, too much, right? Cause they've already established certain variables within that world. Yeah. And if they do something that is not tied to genre connected to something that is tied, that was explicitly genre, then it would really kind of be like, okay, well, why are we connecting these two things? Whereas right. spring, 
being wholly original, having no connection, like you really get to see that creativity run in a direction that's exciting, that's fresh, that's new. And that is very reassuring to see as a fan of these filmmakers work and just being like, okay, they're able to leave behind and do something radically different than the previous thing that they did while still, again, reinforcing their techniques and whatnot. And I'm really interested also uh, in next time getting to talk with you about Synchronic, because I think that that's an example of, again, them not returning to a well of ideas that they had previously established, but but again, growing and kind of utilizing bits and pieces from their previous three films in a way that is new and unique, tied to genre, but is it a new, a new take on certain genre variables and elements? Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a clear evolution that, uh, that carries through uh, Synchronic which I, I didn't enjoy Synchronic nearly as much as, uh, as Spring, or really um, probably as much as Resolution or Endless. But it's interesting to see how they're changing over time. And, uh, and it, it's great to see that with, uh, you know, with Synchronic, which, you know, well, I was gonna say clearly had a higher budget than Resolution and the Endless, but really uh, Spring was able to hide its budget pretty well, because I imagine this movie was probably, it probably had a very modest budget, but I don't generally feel like it did. Like they're they're able to definitely make it feel like it was something uh, something greater. But Synchronic definitely has um, you know some high production values, and it's interesting to see that something might have uh, been lost along the way. Yeah, and I think that that'll be really uh, the really interesting basis of our conversation next time. In that, it's like how much of their vision is lost or diluted through that high production value, right? Because yeah. you can go into making a film and it's like, yeah, we still want to be true to the story we're trying to tell. We're not going to let anything influence that. But the reality is, is that the bigger the budget gets, the more producers and things that get involved in making that and the talent, the more voices that are there, something is definitely going to get diluted or telling the story or is going to influence the way in which you tell the story you want to tell. And so, that is not maybe necessarily, well, we'll get more into it next time. I don't want to break down <laughs> yeah. too much of it, but I think it is very interesting though that their fourth film after The Endless is again, this new wholly original uh, exploration in horror, in sci-fi. Um, and it's it, it it's mixed results, right? I mean, yeah. I think that it'll be interesting because we'll be able to wrap up for the moment until their next film or their next project, um, how they're able to maneuver from their first film to their current film and how much of that has changed like how much is how much of their style from their original film and their um, original uh, stylistic things has really evolved and what maybe has been lost in that process yeah and um and again we don't have to get too far into it uh quite yet but something that i think that the first three films benefit from is uh, even though I said Spring doesn't really feel like it has low production values, a lot of times they're not they're not really putting the cinematography front and center. Like it's I'm definitely seeing an improvement um, in Spring from Resolution, but they're not doing a lot of clever camera tricks. Uh, they're typically they're not doing anything particularly special with lighting, but in a way that actually works out for me because it feels more conversational. It feels more like. Uh, it, like when, when you're just having these you know characters talk and nothing supernatural is happening they feel completely natural in the way that they're talking whereas in synchronic you have some moments that try to do that but they're so much more dynamic with the camera 
but they're often doing things that feel like they they would lend gravity to the conversation that doesn't actually need to be there. That makes it feel less like a real conversation and more like something from uh, from a film. Like this way, you're able to kind of you're able to weave in and out of that feeling of this being fiction and uh, and then just being almost like found footage or something like you know just a, a conversation that you overheard from you know from people on the street. Yeah, and I think that I. I, I use the word mundane, but I don't know if that's necessarily the right word, but there's just something very kind of not flashy about the capturing of conversations. Like you said, there's mm-hmm. kind of that fly on a wall quality almost where it's like, yeah, you're just a part, you're a, um, you're a silent participant in a conversation between two people or a group of people. And there's no sort of technical wizardry that is distracting from that or nothing mm-hmm. that is elevating the scene but at the same time nothing that is distracting from it so it really just is like you could sum it up as a conversation between two people but that's really important in the way that you capture that conversation and i would agree like synchronic one of the things they do is they almost overcomplicate some of the simple scenes to yeah. the degree that it feels almost like well we can yeah. whereas with spring had spring been sort of like of a technical level that they hadn't previously done in resolution or if they started kind of employing these tricks that didn't necessarily like push the scene in a compelling way or really feel like they added anything to it i appreciate that sort of mundane quality it all looks fantastic and like you said they really capitalized on their setting and they hid their budget well but the had they messed with the way that they captured these two people's world it would make that story i think feel much larger feel like there's more implications than Really, I mean, the only stakes are is like Evan could die at the end of this. But had they sort of presented it in a bigger way and then not had the stakes to kind of back that up, I think it would have just thrown off a lot of what I think they really succeeded with. Yeah, it, it's almost like, um, I mean, everybody everybody seems before when I, I think of like the Lifetime movie kind of thing where you're having a moment that should be sincere and heartfelt, but you it's like if you just took out one of those elements, like you didn't have to have the sad violin, you know, some some element in it throws it over the top and makes it suddenly not believable. Like you, you suddenly realize rather than just feeling those emotions, you're being a little bit emotionally manipulated. And in uh, in Spring and in their previous films, I, I don't think that they were doing any of that. So what I'm really hoping for, because uh, Synchronic does, it actually does show me an evolution in terms of their, their uh, you know, cinematographic skill. So I'm hoping that their films will actually continue to have those elements. They'll just be more maybe tactically deployed, you know, have it be have it be those kind of mundane shots when it needs to be, and then switch over to one of those more like well considered, like interestingly composed and lit shots, like they had in uh, Synchronic. And I think they'll be stronger filmmakers for being able to balance those two. Absolutely, and I think that it's again to like the last thing I'll say about Synchronic is just the idea that they're still able to tell these very creative stories. It's, I think it's much more, I th- I'm happy that it is more about the execution rather than the core concept that they're trying to get across, right? And I think that that's exciting in terms of them as being filmmakers and creatives that these guys are not running out of steam with the types of interesting new stories that they want to tell. Whereas some of the execution might have some work that could be done there. That's that would be a byproduct of like the longer people are making films or making series or something like the technical aspect and the perfect employment of that. That's sort of like something that you can 
always work on, right? Whether it be a series or a movie, but I don't know if you can necessarily teach original writing in terms of like concepts and things like that. It's one of those no, things where it's like, point. don't get carried away with the technical aspect, but you could teach that to anybody. And after a certain amount of time, if you become used to it, you're gonna know the right way and the right time to employ those. Whereas a, a movie about a drug that can send you back in time, I don't know <laughs> if everybody can like come up with that concept and employ it in the interesting ways that Synchronic does. Yeah, definitely not. No, I, I think you're right about that. I don't get any indication that they're uh, running out of ideas yet. So I'm actually, uh, I'm even happy about the Moon Knight thing that we discussed, like getting to uh, to work on a project that that's, that's going to be, um, you know, that high exposure and will have that many creative voices working on it is surely going to teach them something in terms of technique, whether they're able to get their ideas across or not in a movie, you know, or uh, in that show, we won't, we don't know yet. But they'll definitely be able to grow from that, and I can't wait to see what they make in like, I don't know, ten years or whatever. <laughs> when they get yeah, back to making absolutely. And with every new thing that they make, like their skill set is just going to get more and more refined. So the future is looking uh, very bright for those two, and for us as audience members. Yeah, for real. But uh, as always, man, hey, I had a blast talking about uh, Spring with you, and I look forward to uh, chatting about Synchronic with you next time. Yeah, same here. I'm uh, I'm glad you enjoyed the movie as much as I did. Because I was watching it thinking like, this is kind of unusual. It's it's very difficult to classify. I don't know if it's going to work for everybody, but you know, I thought it was pretty special. Yeah, I guess I should lead off with uh, in the intro before we kind of spoil everything. Like try to go into this with an open mind because that was definitely mm -hmm. something I wasn't expecting because I just, I mean, this was the movie that we hadn't talked about yet. So I was like, yeah, we have to talk about this, but I didn't really look into it. I just knew that it was a European romance element <laughs> to it, but I think going into it with an open mind and not really digging into what the movie's actually about is definitely beneficial uh, in terms of like not have not 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 experiencing it being super jarring compared mm -hmm. to what you already know about um, their sensibilities as filmmakers. No, definitely. I yeah, I, I was in the same boat. I read the I think like the first sentence in Wikipedia, which calls it a romantic body horror film. That's really all I had to go on uh, for it. But uh, I went in just, you know, appreciating these directors and thinking that whatever they come up with is going to be pretty cool. And other than that, I had no expectations at all. And I think having expectations of it being a, you know, a creature horror movie or a body horror movie or even a romance film will definitely spoil the experience a little bit for you. So, yeah, just you're right about that. Having an open mind is the best way to view it. Absolutely. And I uh, can't wait to talk about Synchronic with you next time. Awesome. Looking forward to it. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Daily Horror Habit on your preferred streaming service and follow the show on Instagram at Daily Horror Habit and on Twitter at Daily Horror Pod for episode updates. Thanks again for listening, and I'll see you guys next time.